You better be blinded. You better be more than ready, Dominique. You better be more than ready, sir. Listen to me again. You better be more than ready for me. Because I am the bad. I can feel you right now. I can feel your heart right now. I feel you right now. I can feel your heartbeat. All right, And it should be that way. Because you ain't never seen death in his face. You ain't never seen a killer in person, in faith. Now you do. And you're going to understand. Speak the way I speak. Why the things I say? You're going to understand where I came from. You're going to feel every bit of me. I promise you that. This is not a game. This is where you've been introduced in the heavyweight division, Dominique. It starts with me, and I'm going to prove it to you. Well, I promise you that. Because that's the scheme that you tried to pull, it ain't going to fly. I'm going to show you street style. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where Anthony Joshua either needs to shit or get off the pot. Um, I don't like what I'm seeing at the moment. It's somewhat disappointing and mainly I put that down to the fact that they've tried to engineer the voice of Anthony Joshua so it can drown out the voice of Fury. Uh, it is, it's classic match room. If we're not organizing the fight, let's just piss in the well. And I don't... I don't like it because these are discussions, as always, that go nowhere. So you've got Eddie talking about Fury's got no power and Dillian could probably give him hell. and This, that, and the third. Ignoring the fact that Fury has shown everything someone needs to show. He's shown he's got recovery capacity that we haven't seen since Muhammad Ali. He's shown that he's got the ability to take someone out in Deontay Wilder that no one else has been able to do. No one's even come close to doing it. I know people talk about round seven of the Ortiz fight. But if you remember, Wilder wasn't off his feet. So let's come back to this question. What does Anthony Joshua do? Because what's clear is the Joshua machine can't just fight once a year. And that's really what he's had. He had that in 2020 and he had that in 2021. And the sponsorship money is not filling the hole, which, you know, comes from having one fight instead of two. So now he's going, he's saying, I've got to stay active. Well, you're 32 years old and you've allowed yourself to be inactive as you've got older. And that's squarely on your shoulders. Now, whether you stay training, that's up to you. But the fact is, at the age he's at, you've got to be fighting at least twice a year, three times a year, realistically, just to keep the sharpness. But Joshua can't find three opponents he, he would have confidence taking on. He, oh, he could find three opponents, 100%. <laughs> I mean, like they're lining up to fight him. And that's almost Anthony Joshua's worst nightmare at the moment. So let's look at how this all, all started, right? It started last Saturday with the, what do you call it? The YouTuber show at Wembley. And Joshua was just charged up and he was talking crazy and he was talking recklessly. You know, I don't know what it is. It's like a, like a teenage rebellion at this point, right? He's got a point to prove to the world that he's the number one, but he doesn't have any belts. Let's be clear about this. Anthony Joshua doesn't possess the belts. Two men do. Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury. Anthony Joshua is not one of those guys. Nor is he a guy who should be fighting for those belts on merit right now. Because he's coming off a loss. There are rules to this. So, you can see the tension starting to eat away at him. The fact that a guy who was unified heavyweight champion of the world has to shadow box in a camera to remind people that he's tough tells you he doesn't really believe in himself. 
you know, whenever I see that, that's just a sign of nerves. We've all done it. It is, you know, it is what it is to people in the sport. But when I see that, I'm like, yeah, you're you're protesting too much, you know, and that's that's a little bit worrying. And then this week we saw him go loose on Twitter, which we haven't seen since he posted the picture kneeling in the mosque with the sunglasses, and that got the backlash. You know, so after that he kind of retreated from Twitter and kept it to Snapchat with a little bit of Instagram. But he came on Twitter and just started talking crazy about how he'd fought Otto Wallen already in the amateurs and beaten him and he had beaten Joe Joyce in a round and this, that, and the third. And I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, well, none of that's true. Well, you've got to understand the Joe Joyce thing needs context. A hundred percent this needs context. When Joe walked through Wellsfield, he was already a six foot six, 18 stone guy who was so bodily aware that he could already do a backflip, right? You didn't have to teach him coordination or anything like that. Now, for anyone who's met Joe Joyce in the flesh, he, he's literally a giant. There's some people who are big, and it's like a gym big. You, you eat a lot, you lift a lot of weights in the gym, you might take some creatine or something else, but you're big because you want to be big. Joe Joyce is big simply because, he, Jesus, he's big. And so when Joe went to Earlsfield, and they saw how good he was, they just put him in, in the elites. Like they, I don't even think he, he, did he even do three two-minute rounds? I don't think he did. I think it was literally, right, we're going to put you in, in the elites. And that would have been with Joshua having a two-year head start on a minimum. So if Joshua beat Joe Joyce in a round, I, can, I could believe that. Simply because Joe was so green. I don't believe the Joe Joyce in Team GB would get run over so easily by Joshua. In fact, I think Joshua would have nightmares about Joe Joyce. I, I, I think he's probably... He's the Evander Holyfield of this era in the sense of you're, you're not going to have an easy night against him. Yeah? You might go the distance and if your mentality is not strong enough, you won't go the distance. Because Joe murders you with consistency and work rate. You're going you're to see the same thing over and over again and you're not going to be able to do a thing about it. So when Joshua says the, the Otto Island fight will be easy, I'm not so sure. And when he says the Joe Joyce fight will be easy, I think guys in cuckoo land. But let's be a thousand percent clear. Anthony Joshua is competitive in both of those fights. But I just think the opponents are also competitive. But the instant this man said he wanted an interim fight, look at everyone who posted up and said, yeah, I'm here for that. Ortiz has said he's there for that. Wallen says he's there for that. Joe said he's there for that. And I don't even think it's about the payday necessarily. I think it's about the, the win on their record. And what it does for their career. And I think Joshua struggles with being hunted in this way. He was okay when he was chasing everyone. If you remember his energy towards Wilder when Wilder had the last belt he needed, then Fury. He had all of that energy. But now that people are nipping at his heels and they can smell the vulnerability, they can smell weakness on him. Yeah, because there's definitely chaos in that camp. But they can smell that on him. Now that they see that, I don't know if Joshua can cope with that. I don't think he's got that mentality to, to stave off the young hungry wolves. Well, the less experienced hungry wolves, I should say. So it's going to be interesting because he's going to have to take an interim fight. I would, I've said it before and I'll repeat this. I want the governing bodies to scatter the belts. Like I don't want us to sit around and wait for Usyk to do what he's doing in Ukraine. Uh, 
in practical terms, he could take his family out of Ukraine. I don't think there'd be an issue diplomatically with getting Usyk's family out of Ukraine. He could train wherever, Germany, wherever. If that's, that, if that's so important. If it's important that he stands and fights for his country, he should vacate the belts. That's the right thing to do at this point. Vacate the belts, let them circulate. Because if we are going to get Joshua in a meaningful fight, I'd like it to be for a belt. If you're going to get Joshua versus Wilder, let's have that for a belt. Or two belts, I don't know. But let's have it for something meaningful because I think that's the fight of the division for me. Always has been, always will be. From the build-up, to the action, to the vulnerability both men have shown, to the fact that they're roughly the same height, roughly the same width, this is a good fight. And people think Joshua will just walk through Deontay Wilder. No one walks through Deontay Wilder. Yeah. You don't walk through Deontay Wilder without hitting the canvas. That's just what it is. And Fury's as tough as they come. And how many times did he hit the canvas against Wilder? Three, four? Something like that. So when I see all of this and I say, is Joshua just overselling at this point? Because if he genuinely wants an interim fight in June... They have to get the name agreed like in the next two or three weeks. I don't believe for a second Wilder's been training. So I don't. I think you can rule him out. Joe probably never leaves the gym. So Joe, rule him in. Otto Wilder, I think he'll take whatever's going wherever. And I think now that he's had the Sokolowski fight, people will feel more comfortable taking him on. So I think that fight could happen. But they all feel like they're expensive fights. And I don't think... They want to necessarily pay an opponent that much money. Because if they were, then you'd start to think about could you break the Dillian Fury fight contract and get Dillian for June? And I'm not gonna rule I'm not gonna rule that out till I see Dillian fight Tyson Fury. Because there's no mandatory clause for White versus Joshua. You could do it a 60-40 split, and that would be more money for Dillian than he'd be getting fighting Fury. So I can see the logic behind that. And I can see Hearn loving to get one over on Frank. There's so many subplots to this that, that make that seem like the second likeliest outcome. The first likeliest outcome is it'll be someone disappointing. So if you were to ask me who I see Joshua fighting in, in June, um, if I give like 10 names, then it doesn't really seem like I put a lot of thought into it. But there are two lines of thought. One is that he'll fight a Southpaw just to keep his eye focused on how Southpaws move. And if that's the case, then you've got Luis Ortiz. You gamble that he's too old to be effective, although that might be a gamble too far for AJ. You've got Otto Wilden, similar reasons, you know, Southpaw. A bit more basic than Usyk, but equally as enthusiastic. And then I'm trying to think of a third one. I don't think they'd do Charles Martin, to be honest with you, just because it's been done before and that wasn't competitive. And then you're looking at someone like Gilles Zhang, where they can kind of sell the whole Olympian thing and this, that, and the third. They can sell that and say, look, it's an interim fight. No one else wanted a fight. You know, here we go. United Kingdom versus China. We can sell this in China and do millions of views. You know what I mean? That's, that's the model I see. So it's one of those three. If you... If you're just looking at it from a, he has to fight Southport. If he fought anyone, then I think they just put him in with someone like a Michael Hunter, who's been inactive, but he's a name that people respect and he's competitive. I have no idea why they don't just ask for Huey Fury. 
you want an interim fight that's going to be challenging and that kind of ties into the bigger picture, Huey Fury is a perfect fight. Fight Huey Fury and say, look, I dealt with one Fury and they're stylistically quite similar. It was easy. I think I can do Tyson as well. Yeah. And then Tyson's like, listen, I need to get revenge for my, my cousin Huey. You know what I mean? This is about family pride now. I need to fight Joshua. So, so I can see it working in any one of those ways. But I know that we're going to be disappointed with the choice of opponent, whichever way they go. But one thing I want to come back to is the whole Wilder Joshua who ducked who, right? Now, I don't think many people have the complete story. And if they do, they'll never share it because there's always an agenda. I can only share what I know. And what I know for absolute certain is the 50 million was offered to Anthony Joshua. And it was just for Anthony Joshua. No co-promotional with Matchroom. No this, no that, nothing. We just want Anthony Joshua, right? And Sky were given guarantees that they could handle the UK side of it on pay-per-view and all of that sort of stuff, right? That was all kind of priced in. That 50 million was real. When people said, ah, oh, there wasn't proof of funds, the money was real. And I think in boxing, we generally now realize the money was real. That was a 50 million deal for one fight. All of the belts, we get one undisputed, and then whatever happens, happens, right? Team Joshua were like, well, no, we need a rematch. And we don't want to be giving up home advantage. And we want to control the fight. And we want to do this. We want to do it. All stuff that's actually irrelevant to what the fans wanted to see, which was AJ versus Wilder. And had Joshua said yes to that 50 million, that fight would have happened. Had he signed the deal for that fight, it would have happened. So then people normally counter back with, well, Eddie offered him a deal. Eddie never offered him a real deal. They said... How about 20 million to fight Dillian White, then 40 million to fight Joshua twice? So 20 plus 40 plus 40, 100 million dollar deal. Right? So you're giving up control of your career when you're the WBC champion, the, the belt most people attach the most credibility to. And you're having to be beholden to Eddie Hearn, which meant you had to signed to the zone like you already had pre-existing deals and so they said no and they counted back and they said no we don't want to, we don't want the Dillian fight because quite frankly we don't care we do want the Joshua fight but we just want a one and done and Hearn was like hell no <laughs> you think you're just gonna ice my my golden goose no and then that's when you got the briefing in the media of look we offered them a, a fantastic deal in fact that was a terrible deal and Wilder made that money anyway so he made that money, or close to that figure, with the three with the three Fury fights. Then add in the, the fights he had in between. So he made his money. And in the interim, Joshua hasn't. That's the whole irony of this. Joshua hasn't. So all that talking, all that belly aching, and the truth is, in terms of the earning power, all those three are roughly in the same ballpark in terms of how much they earn per fight. They've never been able to grow Joshua beyond where he was in 2016, 2017. They've struggled. And most of it's of his own making because the Joshua brand is confused. I'll go on Twitter and it's normally quite organized, focused, precise. I'll go on Instagram. It's, it's still broadly there. And on Snapchat, he's promoting some kid around the corner's mixtape. Or he's, he's rapping to music about bitches and hoes. Like, he's... He's too much of a contradiction for brands to get behind because 
He, he talks about he's a smart businessman and he understands the game and all of this stuff, but all of his behavior suggests that he doesn't. And that team around him don't seem like they know anything. Like, th- th- let's come back to this point that I've been saying for months now. There are no boxing people on Joshua's operation. There are no boxing people. There's no one in his operation that you can say, that guy's been in the game for a long time. There isn't anybody. His head trainer, Angel Fernandez, is a rookie. He's a rookie. And it's not fair. Like, we've got to give Angel the opportunity to show what he's capable of before we judge him. But we can't say he's the best trainer in the world because he isn't. He hasn't demonstrated anything at that level. Maybe he could with Joshua. But it smacks to me of kind of like the Ralph Rangnick appointment. It's, it's a sticking plaster that runs the risk of actually turning the wound septic. So I do worry, actually. I worry about Joshua's development. And you know, has he got people around him that can get him from camp to camp? the way McCracken could. Because he's not going to learn how to be you know, the super clever combination puncher like Riddick Bow. He's not going to learn how to control the ring like a Chris Bird. Nothing like that. He's not built like that. And on a side note, to all you boxing fans, stop talking about Usyk being this magician, this undersized magician in a world of giants. And, you know I mean, you're all ignoring how great Chris Bird was. Chris Bird would have played with Alexander Usyk. I'll say that again. Chris Bird would have played with Alexander Usyk. Who else goes to the Olympics and boxes at 75 kilos, then starts taking on guys like David Tua? Say that again, David Tua and Vitaly Klitschko. Yeah? Ducked nobody. Went hunting for the biggest, scariest monsters. Put some respect on Chris Bird's name as a small southpaw in the heavyweight division. No, who else was killing it before Usyk, man? Was Michael Moore a southpaw as well? He wasn't half bad. There are a load of guys, man, that people forget when they talk about Usyk. Have some respect. Because Usyk's an okay boxer, but come on, man. Chaz Witherspoon? Derek Chisora? Femi? Come on. <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the murderer's row of the 90s with guys like David Tua who probably would have spanked all those guys that Usyk fought, spanked them in two or three rounds tops. So just remember that, man. Now, Anthony Joshua lost to a guy in Usyk who's not even as good as Chris Bird. But my last question on on the whole Joshua thing is, are we just in the end game now? Are we just in the last three or four fights of his career? And what's happened is, it's all caught up with him, right? I, I don't know if you see him training nowadays and he's got the, the NBA sleeves, you know, the, the ones the NBA players wear from like the top of the bicep all the way down to the wrist, which he never used to do before. And that happens like just years of wear and tear. And I think when you're his size and you stay in shape the way he does with as few rest days as he takes, this is what happens. You know, I'm sure his hips are hell, his knees are hell, his shoulders probably hurt. And yeah, he's, he's had a good run. They were able to manufacture a credible world champion from a kid from Watford. Credit where credit's due. It worked. You know, it was 50% daylight robbery, 50% overachieving on your talent. But I think we're in the end game of Anthony Joshua. I, I don't know how history will view him. I think the next few fights will determine that. Because if he goes the hard route, then we'll have to say this is a guy that ducked no one. 
But if he goes the easy route, then we'll just say he never operated at the top level. He was never amongst his peers. Because whenever you see the heavyweights from the 90s together, whenever you see those guys together, your Riddick Bowes, Evander Holyfield, uh, put Ray Mercer in there, Mike Tyson, Lennox, uh, put Tour in there for, for the giggles of it. You know, that whole generation. Look at them together. What I love is there's this respect and there's a natural hierarchy based on what happened when they fought each other. That's why Lennox is always in the middle of the picture because no one dare try and move him. You know, you, you normally have Lennox, then you have kind of like a Vander there and maybe like a Mike Tyson. It, it, and then it fans out based on seniority. At this moment in time, if you did a picture like that of this era, Fury's in the middle. And then Wilder will find a space and then Joshua has to find a space. And that will be the case until Joshua and Wilder face each other. You know I mean, Joshua might even get moved aside by Lewis Ortiz. So Joshua has to be very careful about how he's seen in relation to his peers and his views because he talks about legacy. And your legacy is only as strong as your peers. Because I still look at that and I go, not one of Joshua's wins looks impressive with hindsight. Not one. Not one. Povetkin looked like he was off the peds when he fought Joshua. Um, Joseph Parker's turned out to be so overrated, it's criminal, but I believe that from the start. Vlad was old. There's no debating that. Um, and now you're scratching around. Andy Ruiz was just fat. Like he wasn't, he wasn't, he, 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 Joshua made him look like a world beater. And then he reverted back to who he really was. Kubrat Pulev. Pulev's fighting on Triller now. Then we said Povetkin was off the peds and he was old. These aren't great wins. It's not a much better record than Dillian White. That's the truth about Joshua. His record's not that great. But for what he was under the hood, it probably is because there wasn't much underneath there. All the tough talk happens away from the ring. Once he gets in that ring, you don't see any of that toughness coming out. But let's segue into real toughness and let's talk about a good friend of mine, Porky. Because... <laughs> He's brilliant. Like, you need characters like Porky Russ in boxing because he, he blurs the line between real life and entertainment. And he does it in a way that I don't think is intentional. But he seems to have just sussed it out and how to do it properly. So, so Fight Week has been in Nottingham this week for Matchroom, right? And there's a kid, they call him Michael the Emperor. What's the kid? The Eritrean kid, right? And he's he's been around boxing, doing various things. He's just, a, just grifting, isn't he? Just trying to get his name in lights. Now... I don't know how much of the story Porky shared, but, but in essence, if I just take what he said in his videos, he gives this Michael kid a place to stay because he was homeless. And the kid starts acting weird in the house. And Porky's like, you can't stay too long because you're acting weird in the house. But when you fed someone, help them get washed, cleaned up, and they've stayed in your house, they've been around your family, by the way, this is a big statement. And these are things that I don't think are boxing related because that's what you're doing out of the kindness of your heart, right? And you've got to separate the two. So for Michael to be then doing videos talking about that experience and lying about it and being disrespectful about it and talking about Porky's family, 
I have a real issue with that. But it's not my place to, to do anything about it. But I can understand why Russ would have just rolled up on him. If it was just his channel versus Porky's channel, I don't think Russ would care. I think Russ would just do videos back and forth because he doesn't mind that. But when you're causing distress to someone's family, you've crossed the line. And if anything, I thought Porky was quite restrained. There, there, there are guys who do videos. There are guys involved in boxing that would have taken Michael's head clean off its shoulders for, that, for the sort of talk he was getting away with. And Russ chose to take the high road. And, you know, he's, he's only recently recovered from having a hole in his fucking stomach. So, you know, I, I don't want to see Russ getting involved in any scraps. I'll be honest, I say that as a friend. But I'm proud of the fact that he rolled up on him. Not enough people do that. Not enough people go and say, listen, I just want to know if what you're saying is what you really believe. Because when, when Porky showed up, that, that Michael kid just shat the bed. You know? And people see it as a bit of entertainment. I'm sure there'll be a, a discussion on it, on the boxing asylum and stuff like that. Me personally, I just wanted to say, I fully understand why Russ did it. I know the distress has caused him behind the scenes. And here's the thing. Once you start talking about someone's family, just know that you've gone beyond boxing. You can't just say, mate, it was only a video. Right? You want to take the piss out of him? Take the piss out of me? Fine. You know, I have the option of whether to deal with it or not. But you cross that line and start mentioning my family, who, who have not signed up to any of this, by the way. Nor do they benefit from any of this. Once you do that, then I can understand people wanting to deal with that in other ways. But I've loved the fact that in that kind of blogosphere in which Porky inhabits, you know, with the fellow YouTubers and that, I'm glad that he was the leading light for 36 hours and he got his chance to to shine. So people are like, okay, this Porky guy doesn't mess around. I thought some of the tweets people sending were disrespectful because they didn't really understand the story. And I think in most situations, people would have behaved in a broadly similar way. You know, like, like I said, had it just been an attack on Porky, I don't think Russ would care. But when you're bringing distress to someone's family, then as the, as a man of that household, that's something you have to address. And he showed that he's, he, he's unafraid. You know, you could see Coogan was tense. He didn't even have, he didn't even have his camera to capture the intense beef, but Coogan looked stressed as hell. You know, what the hell he was doing there, I don't know. Was he a, was he a bodyguard? Yeah. What was he doing there? Yeah, how does he always seem to find himself in these situations? But anyway, good on Porky, man. Like, you know what I mean? Let him be boxing YouTube's policeman man, and just roll up on everybody and just let him know <laughs> there's a new sheriff in town. But no, no, I, I did genuinely enjoy that. And on the subject of Nottingham, all the pressure, all the pressures on Ben Davidson. It's almost like the, the master against the student, isn't it? Because, you know, everyone kind of saw Ben Davidson as this new version of Adam Booth. You know, he gets to sit all up in the media and talk and, you know, I'm not going to pull him up for the fact that he uses words in inappropriate situations like Adam Booth does. And they try and feign this kind of intellectual leaning that they have, which none of them have, by the way, because, I mean, I think I think you could probably wrap some gaffer tape around them and thick as two short planks. And I think mean, that's job done. But I just want to move quickly and talk about Jerome Ennis because I, I see there's a lot, of, a lot of traction and a lot of static around Jerome at the moment and people are like oh my god this guy's the next one in charge when are we going to see him in a meaningful fight and my answer back to people is uh, maybe never because 
he's still engaged. I think he's still engaged with his litigation. So, so on his way up, Jerome Ennis signed with a promoter. I can't remember. It's not Gary Shaw. So it's like Greg Cohen. It's someone like that. And he signed this contract. And then when he blew up, he's like, okay, I need to jump on this Al Heyman shit. Quite rightly too. And so Al's like, you got to sort your paperwork out. You know, and so they've been trying to sort this out. It's gone to court. But in the meantime, Al's like, I can't put you over the top if I don't have control of your career. Because what I don't want to do is put you in a world title fight and you've got to pay all that purse back to Greg, whoever it is, that's his, his promoter of record. So that's why you're not seeing Jerome Ennis get pushed any harder because the court case hasn't resolved itself. Like no one's budging on this. And until they do... He's just going to be treading water for a while. And we don't want to see that because we're seeing that with Conor Ben. Like, Conor Ben's fighting Chris Van Heerden. Oh, man. Like we said, Van Heerden's the guy that got slapped about by Conor McGregor. So, so where are these serious fights that Eddie was talking about? You're telling me you couldn't have just put Chris Congo in there. You couldn't have just put Michael McKinson in there. You couldn't have just put uh, Chris Jenkins in there. Really? I, I, I have no words because, like I said, I've banged the drum for Conor Ben for so long, but he hasn't given us a single fight that's been worth the time. Not one. And how, what, what is he, 20-something fights into his career now? Who, I, I don't know who's got the more underwhelming CV, him or Dempsey McKean. And like with Dempsey McKean, I kind of get it because it's Australia. So you only ever fight like rugby players, ex-bikers and bouncers, really. But Conor Ben's had the opportunity. Eddie could have put anyone in front of him. Like you could have dug up Andre Burso, for God's sake. And I'm like, is this where we're at? This is genuinely where we're at? Because they were talking about Robert Guerrero before, weren't they? Until it turned out Guerrero still had a pulse and could still jab. And being a Southpaw... He might not fall for the usual Conor Ben tricks. But I look at those, I look at those two and Virgil Ortiz, right? And I say, it looks like Virgil Ortiz might be the, the more serious prospect out of those three. And I never thought I'd say that because Ennis seems to have more of the tools and he seems to have more of that spite like Crawford. But at the moment, like Ortiz has taken on someone like McKinson who at least we can benchmark him. And now... Is Conor Ben doing that? No. Why does McKinson have to travel all that way when Conor Ben's right here? Why? Yet people will sit there and still believe in what Eddie Hearn says and Eddie knows what he's doing. It doesn't look like it because someone's got to come up with the truth. Either Conor's not as good as we think he is or no one wants to fight with Conor Ben. And I find that hard to believe because I've seen so many people put their hands up for that fight. But that, that, that explains why we haven't seen a real changing of the guard at welterweight in a long time because they're not going to push Jerome Ennis until he sorts out his legal paper, his situation legally. And we need to see Virgil Ortiz fight McKinson in order to know how good he is at world level. After that, I can imagine the Golden Boy lot just running to the moon with him. But uh, look, so anyone... Just to wrap this up, realizing how much time I've, I've sort of burned through here. But look, anyone going to Nottingham or that's been to Nottingham, depending on when you listen to this, hope that was a great evening. We should always support live boxing where we can. The Frank Warren show, uh, uh, less said about that, the better. 
that those sorts of shows are the reason YouTubers are able to breathe in our sport. It was it was embarrassing. That Frank Warren show can't fill York Hall says everything. It's all it says everything we suspect. Number one, York Hall is not a lucrative venue for boxing. But number two, anything that is a lucrative venue for boxing, promoters are too lazy to fill. That's the problem. We're now revealing that these promoters don't put enough work in. That show was terrible. Um, Chris Borg versus Mark Leach. I just thought Chris Borg did what most peacock boxers do. Went in there without a clue about what the hell was happening in that ring. And his corner were no help. It's as simple as that. Like I think I tweeted it while it was happening. I said, look, it's the equivalent of being on the front line in Ukraine with a Nerf gun. And being surprised at the fact that people are laughing at you. Chris Bork is a talented kid. He can box. He hasn't been given the education. He looked clueless in there against that Mark Leach. And I know Frampton says Mark Leach was a hard guy to pin down. <laughs> yeah, but you know, Frampton revealed at top level that he can also go missing. So I'm not, I'm not necessarily sold on that. I think anyone with half-decent footwork could pin Mark Leach down. I just don't think Chris Bork is that sort of talent anymore. You know? A kid like Aiden Muhammad would have dealt with Mark Leach a lot better than that. that. So that's another black mark against the Peacock. For all those people who who bang the drum and they do this a lot. Ah, oh, these venerable old stalwarts of boxing. Yeah. I, I Look, I respect all of those guys. Martin Bowers, uh, the stocky guy that used to be a heavyweight. Uh, Ed the Sheds or Ed Muscat. As elders and OGs in the game, I'll always respect those guys. Look at the win-loss record. Make them accountable for the win-loss record. Forget anything else. Just say, listen, why do you guys lose so many top-level fights? And not, not just lose them, but lose them easily. Mark Leach was playing with Chris Bork in there. Felix Cash played with Denzel Bentley. Go and have a look. Played with him. Where's Ryan Robinson? Why isn't Ryan Robinson getting his time to shine? Now, I tweeted this as well. Just because you've got a gym, it doesn't mean you're a decent trainer. It just means you had the finances to set up a boxing gym. I don't believe there's enough collective knowledge and wisdom in that Peacock gym to produce a world champion. Don't think it's anywhere near close. In a good year, you might get a British champion. But realistically, no. And I'll say this, like... <laughs> Had I trained Mark Heffer, Mark Heffer would have been British middleweight champion. That's, that's all I'll say on the man. If I trained Mark Heffer, if I trained Chris Bork, would he be British super bantam champion? Yeah, I think so. Not hard. So all of you guys who, who just listen to what the commentators tell you and listen to what Steve Bunce tells you about the Peacock, stop being blinded to this because they're not the only ones. There are so many gyms in this country that have these reputations, yet none of them can get past British level. And no one asks why. Well, Ben Davison had his ideas, but then now Ben Davison's also being exposed. So what is the problem? Is it the talent we've got coming through? Or is it the talent among our coaching pool? I, I think I know where the answer is on this one. A um, couple of bits and bobs to sign out on. First and foremost, um, congratulations to Danny Watley, Johnny Musgrave, and all the kind of kids from Johnny's Gym up in Barnsley. I mean, doing the, the charity fundraising stuff, so I think they had to do like 100 rounds of pads or something. So fair play to whoever had to hold those pads 
I don't fancy how your shoulders and forearms will feel after that. But no, good to see the community stuff still popping off and good to see that boxing slowly coming back to what it used to be. You know, I know Danny's been active judging a few shows, so salute to him. One of the guys that's helping keep this thing going, so that massive respect to that. Um, also, Damien Lithgow put me onto this kid, Janaid Bostan. Had his debut yesterday on the same card as Danny Morrell. Didn't know Al Siesta was promoting in, in Yorkshire now, but kudos to them. Um, saw the kid got the stoppage. Bit naughty with the Anthony Fowler punch after the guy was down. So, you know, we will put that down to first night nerves, man. We don't want to see any more of that, though. Stay disciplined. Um, then who else I need to thank? Definitely need to thank um, my, my official guide to all things Bristol, Caners. Uh, fact that he's still rapping in 2022 salute to him so i mean he he had a show on thursday night that i went to with winnie who you know hadn't been out in ages and i mean we definitely felt that the day after but kudos to him because i know he's a fan of the podcast uh caners uh who else was who else i mean they all rap out there impact murph king aggie all those guys there so shout out all the bristol lot um always show me love when i'm there um, so I'm eternally grateful for that. That was a hell of a night. Um, by the way, yeah, Keynes can really rap. So I think we're probably going to do it all again in June at Love Saves the Day. So on that note, I'd like to say thanks for tuning in. Uh, you might get more than two or three this week because I feel I have a lot to get off my chest. But until then, I'll catch you on the other side. Take care, guys. Bye. Yo, K, I've been feeling them new songs, it's been too long Got proper vision, I'm getting my Tony Cruz on Don't give a fuck what you're lifting, I still be too strong Every rapper stated the best, so tell me who's wrong Cause I ain't playing, bro, I mean it when I say that I come from the city, a king ain't double and laid black Find someone better, that's some needle in a haystack I got legendary status, I've been doing it from way back To be honest, they should be paying homage, they all owe me If money's involved, I'm on it, you already know me That's why I'm on the road while my girl's saying she's lonely I don't spend enough time, so I went and bought her a rolly been watching the game, all I see is these phonies Talking like they got beef, they just talking baloney From SP, watch how you address me Things will get messy, shots are like you diving like a goalie Couldn't try out the game without this No tweets, no talk, no announcements